Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of NGI's Hub and Flow podcast. This is Shailen Stolk, Senior Energy Analyst, and I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about decarbonization. You've been hearing it everywhere. Energy transition, decarbonization, net zero, carbon neutral. The natural gas industry is abuzz with climate buzzwords as investors and regulators clamp down on ESG requirements and natural gas producers and suppliers scramble to create action plans to meet their climate goals. With the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, there's even more pressure on natural gas producers to have a clear plan to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions. There are a lot of decarbonization options out there, but it can be overwhelming even for experienced energy producers to figure out which one meets the needs of their business without falling for a cleverly marketed scam. So the first category of decarbonization strategies is emissions reduction. This one is of particular interest to the natural gas industry because it covers not only carbon dioxide, the most famous greenhouse gas, but also methane. Methane is actually 82 times more powerful than CO2 at trapping heat. So getting methane emissions under control is a must for combating climate change. Luckily for the natural gas industry, Reducing methane emissions is an easy target and beneficial to overall operations as well as the planet. Pipeline leakage is the leading source of methane emissions in the natural gas sector. Between 1.4 and 2.3% of all natural gas extracted and processed in the United States is lost to leaks. This isn't just an environmental problem. With production low and demand high, that's money leaking into the atmosphere. Natural gas leaks from aging pipelines, overpressurization, or faulty equipment can also cause explosions such as the one that disabled the Freeport facility in June. That was traced back to gas escaping from an overpressurized transfer line. More sensitive methane sensors, along with consulting services focused on reducing gas leaks at all stages of the natural gas extraction and transport process, make it easier than ever to prevent and repair leaks. Although the cost of repairing a damaged pipeline can run between $15,000 and $60,000 per mile, depending on the pipeline specs and the degree of upgrades required, data compiled by the Department of Transportation shows that the average reportable incident involving a pipeline leak costs the responsible parties over $790,000 in addition to the loss of saleable natural gas. With the Inflation Reduction Act introducing fines of $900 per ton of leaked gas, methane leaks are more dangerous than ever to profit margins. Definitely a priority in anyone's decarbonization plan. Of course, burning natural gas for heat or electricity still produces carbon dioxide. An immediate way to directly reduce those emissions is to introduce biogas or hydrogen into the natural gas supply. Biogas, or renewable natural gas, is primarily composed of methane captured from dairy farms, sewage, or landfills. 
it can produce up to 40% less CO2 compared to conventional natural gas. Plus, that's more methane that's kept out of the atmosphere. Hydrogen itself produces no greenhouse gas emissions when combusted, and green hydrogen, which is creating using water and electricity from renewable sources, also avoids generating greenhouse gases in that production process. Green hydrogen production costs are currently at an all-time high due to the high cost of electricity. But that typical production cost is still pretty high. It's between $3 per kilo and $6 per kilo, which places it well above that $1 per kilo goal, which we need to hit to make it an economically viable alternative or supplement to natural gas on a large scale. The initial capital required for strategies that significantly reduce the production cost, particularly scaling up the amount of hydrogen produced with larger electrolyzers and constructing in-house renewable energy production facilities, have been a blocker to liquid hydrogen's viability. However, infusion incentives from the Inflation Reduction Act may help kickstart development. NEL, a Swedish company which manufactures those hydrolyzers used in green hydrogen production, has predicted that the cost of green hydrogen production could drop to $1.50 per kilo or even lower by as early as 2025 if companies actually do start using these strategies. Controlling methane and making gas, natural gas itself less carbon intensive to combust is helpful. But now you still have that gap between helpful and the actual net zero goal. One popular approach is the broad umbrella of offsetting carbon, which can take a variety of forms. The big concept is that you're investing in projects which either reduce a set amount of emissions or capture a set amount of carbon from the atmosphere. The ease of purchasing offsets makes this a really appealing solution for businesses, but the lack of transparent carbon market or a standardized methodology for calculating carbon offsets means that buyers need to be alert and educated when considering potential purchases. Some individual states have implemented standards for carbon pricing, but a reliable, transparent nationwide carbon marketplace something equivalent to ICE or to trading electricity on ISOs is not going to be able to emerge unless there's a widespread adoption of standard carbon accounting methodology, auditing, and accountability. So like I said, the concept of a carbon offset is that funding a carbon offset produces a carbon sink, like forest, peat bog, salt marsh, it protects that place that would otherwise be destroyed, or it's actually creating a carbon sink via a ecosystem restoration project. And the assumption is that without that funding, the project would not go through, the ecosystem would not be protected, and we'd lose that um, carbon sink. However, there is no regulatory body checking on the actual value of these carbon offsets or even verifying that they exist. With the current trend towards more rigorous regulatory legislation and more pressure from investors to keep on top of carbon assets steadily moving forward, 
a questionable carbon offset purchase could come right back to bite your company in the ESG score. Anyone buying carbon offsets should do a lot of research on the company selling them and on the offset itself to make sure you're really getting what you are paying for. If you're in that market, a good carbon offset should be permanent. You know, we're not looking at trees that are going to be cut down next year. It should have a clear and detailed carbon accounting attached and should provide additionality. That is, the existence of this resource is completely contingent on its status as a carbon offset. A similar concept is renewable energy credits, also known as RECs which create an incentive for businesses to invest in renewable energy. One REC is equal to one megawatt of energy produced by a zero-emission source, such as wind, hydroelectric, geothermal, or solar power. Ideally, the purchase of RECs helps renewable energy companies raise the capital needed to get their production facility up and running, since the overwhelming majority of costs incurred by such projects are at the front end in that building process and not with ongoing maintenance. You can think of a REC as a prepayment on renewable energy production, which then reduces emissions by displacing fossil fuel production, typically coal and oil, which are the more expensive sources. Like carbon offsets, however, not all renewable energy projects have the same value for their RECs, and some may even be cutting environmental corners so again, be sure to research that developer and the project to make sure that it's worth your investment and isn't going to end up on the news as some environmental horror story of wind turbines chopping up eagles. You know, we're going for good ESG score, good environmental impact, value for money here. Instead of banking on carbon offsets or renewable energy credits to make up that difference, there is a third strategy that is way more direct. Grab that carbon before it even hits the atmosphere. This is called Carbon Capture, Utilization, and Storage, or CCUS. While carbon capture from the atmosphere, which has gotten quite a bit of press, is a largely untested technology, especially at scale, there are viable ways to capture emissions as they are produced, a process known as carbon capture at source. The captured carbon can then be stored, or it can be sold for industrial uses, such as producing concrete and polymers. Researchers are actually actively investigating ways to turn this captured carbon into products like plastics, feedstocks, carbon nanotubules, and other resources for consumers and for heavy industry. So carbon capture may become a lucrative secondary market for companies which combust natural gas and then capture that carbon. Even better, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, also raises the tax credit for carbon capture. It is going to be $85 per metric ton, plus a direct payment system for that credit. When you add in the growing industrial market for captured carbon, this could make it economically viable for CCUS to be implemented much more quickly on a large scale. The big takeaway here? is that natural gas producers and distributors who do their research and choose a smart route to net zero that makes sense for their business don't have to see decarbonization as this big, scary, confusing obstacle. That can be your next business opportunity. 
That's all I have for you today, but I invite you to keep checking for more podcasts covering the energy transition. And I'd also invite you to follow along with our journalists at NGI as they cover decarbonization and the energy transition in more detail. If you subscribe, thank you. But if you don't and would just like some more information right away, visit us at naturalgasintel.com. On behalf of everyone at NGI, thank you for listening. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or bid-week pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.